take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. And in just a few moments, we'll be focusing our attention on verses 24 through 29. Notice the balance that uh, stated here in the uh, song, uh, the hearing and being willing to follow. And uh, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about this morning in relationship to hearing and then putting into practice that which we hear. Notice Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who has built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at His teaching. For He taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Would you bow with me as we go to the Lord once again in prayer? Father, we just want to thank You for this beautiful Lord's Day that You've given to us the opportunity and the privilege that we have to be in your house with your people. Lord, just to sing praises and Lord, to allow you not only to speak to our heart through the message in song, but the message in word. And I pray, Father, that you'll help us not just to be hearers of the word, but doers as well. And we'll give you the praise because we ask it in Jesus' sweet, matchless, and wonderful name. Amen. What are some of the things that people believe will give them security. If we meditated on that for just a few moments, we would come up with replies with things like money, job, success, bank account, savings. Uh, You can just fill in the blank. But what happens when people build their lives on things that fail? This past week, uh, on Friday, I picked up a uh, USA Today And there was an opinion line there related to Ken Lay's uh, escape of justice with death, it says. And there's also uh, another article related to it. His name will be forever tied with Enron and with what took place there. Here are some of the things that uh, just give us evidence that uh, his life was built on a lifestyle that most of us uh, are never, uh, would never encounter or be familiar with. It said that He had uh, the luxury of spending $200,000 for a chartered boat on his wife's birthday. That's an idea for you men. Uh, Your wife's got a birthday coming up. Also spent $12,000 on his birthday, $4,700 for a stay at the French Riviera, another $32,000 for a trip to Park City in Utah. He said, we have realized the American dream and we're living a very expensive lifestyle. Lay told jurors during his trial... It's the type of lifestyle that's difficult to turn off like a spigot. As we think about what are things that people are building or believe that will give them security, many place their hope in things like money and uh, all that it can provide. But need to realize, just like Ken Lay, that uh, what happens when people build their lives on these things and they fail? Everyone is looking uh, for something that lasts. 
and adults become increasingly aware of life, that it's short and uncertain. It's amazing how fast life just seems to, to pass. Uh, when I was a teenager, I couldn't wait uh, to I could reach 21, do all the things legally that adults could do. Uh, since that time, I've longed to uh, be a teenager again. <laughs> uh, not only did my hair turn gray, but it began to uh, fall out as well. And you wake up one morning and you realize 40 years later, wow, you know, my body's got aches and pains that I didn't even know that I had. And uh, they don't recover quite as fast. The many things we thought uh, that were secure have proved to be insecure. And so we're looking for something that provides a firm foundation for living but also for dying. As you get older, you begin to look for those things that really have meaning and purpose in life and worth living for. But you also begin to contemplate about death and about dying. You want something that will withstand the storms of life and, and the fears of death and of dying. And this morning, I'd like to share with you a message that talks about a secure foundation. One that... Uh, the world cannot uh, touch, the one the world cannot destroy, the one that it cannot remove from you, one that is sure. And I want you to notice with me, beginning in verse 24 and 25, it talks about the wise master builder. It says here, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. It says here that the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew. It beat on that house and didn't fall for it was founded on the rock. The verb here is an important word in the Bible. If you were to take a complete concordance, it reveals several pages that are devoted to Bible references that use this word. Many of these have to do with hearing the word of the Lord. Paul asked this question in Romans 10 verse 14. He says, how can they believe on him whom they have not heard, referring to the nation of Israel. A number of Bible verses, however, remind us that hearing alone is not enough. In fact, uh, Jesus told the parable of the sower to make this point. In the book of Matthew chapter 13, uh, we refine recorded uh, beginning in verse 3 here. He said, Then He spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And he sowed some seed and it fell by the wayside. And the birds, they came and uh, they uh, devoured them. Some fell on stony places and uh, where they did not have much earth. And they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some of them fell on thorns and some thorns sprang up and choked them out. But others fell on good ground, and it yielded a good crop, or a crop in some hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The seed represented the Word of God. And all four kinds of uh, people are, uh, had uh, one thing in common here. We notice that uh, they had heard the Word of God. The seed represents uh, the Word of God, and the soil represents the type of heart uh, receiving that seed. However, Jesus distinguished four kinds of responses to the hearing of His Word. You'll find that this was the first time Jesus spoke in parables using uh, an a earthly uh, uh, example or illustration uh, to teach a heavenly truth or a spiritual truth. 
And so the disciples, it, it kind of, you know, like, okay, what does this mean? And so in beginning in verse 18, he says, Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. And he begins to interpret that for them and kind of spells out what it means. Notice in verse 19, it says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. Uh, they, uh, this seed landed on what we call the wayside or a pathway. Uh, it's where they would travel going out into their fields to work. And uh, it became very hard as they would walk on it each day. And so throwing seed on this pathway or wayside would be like throwing seed out here on the pavement that it just won't take root. And so the birds come and they just uh, eat it up before it has a chance to, uh, to penetrate or to uh, grow any kind of root system. And this individual will be referred to as the apathetic hearer. Uh, he hears the word but is not prepared to receive it or to understand it. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, do I let the message go in one ear and out the other? The second we see here in verse 20 and 21, but he received the seed on the stony places when he who hears the word and immediately receives it uh, with joy. And yet he has no root on himself uh, in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation and persecution arise because of the word, immediately he stumbles. And this will be the one that we refer to the superficial hearer. He receives the word temporarily, but he doesn't allow that word to take root in his heart. And so do I just accept what is said without making any personal application? You see, just to hear, as we're going to see, is not enough. If it does not take root and there's no personal application, it will not last. It will be of no good to us, just like in the first. Then we see in verse 22, he says, Now he who uh, received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. This is the preoccupied here. He receives the word, but lets the worries of this world and the desire for things to choke it out. Much like Ken Lay and many others in life. Not that we have to have you know, the millions or even the billions. But we allow things, the worries of the world, and we allow the desire to have things choke out God's Word in our life, just like the thorn choked out the, the seed. Do I remember to practice the message during the week? Or do I just allow other things to crowd it out? We hear the message here this morning, and we go, you know, start our day tomorrow, and by the end of the day or by the end of the week, we have become so preoccupied with the things, whether it's work or whether it's pleasure or whatever it might be, that we don't allow the Word of God to be put into practical application. And then finally notice what he said. But he who received the seed on good ground is he who hears the Word, understands it, who uh, indeed bears fruit, produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Here's the heart that is prepared, okay? It's like the ground that you don't just go out throwing seed and casting seed. The farmer goes and he tills the soil. He, he prepares the soil. He gets the soil ready for the seed. And this is a heart that, that understands. It bears fruit and, and it brings forth results. Does the Word of God yield the maximum fruit in my life? That's the question that we have to ask ourselves. 
with all that we hear, uh, and, and what do we do with it? For example, if you have been at church uh, this year, every Sunday, uh, since the first Sunday in January, you would have attended uh, 26 services, okay? And if you were to participate in Bible study, that would multiply our 28 Sundays. And then if you were to stay for the Bible study, you, you would add 20 more, 8 times, uh, 56 times you would have heard God's Word preached and taught. If you came to a Bible study on Sunday night or during the week, say 14 times, that's 70 times that you've been exposed to the Word of God just through Sunday morning service, through the Bible study, and through some Bible study during the course of the week. That's not counting all the other times that you may have been exposed to God's Word, uh, whether it's on radio, TV, etc., quiet time. uh, But what do we do with it? What have we done with it? Do we we, uh, allow the Word to yield maximum fruit in my life? In biblical terminology, one who truly hears the Word of God should be one who acts upon it and obeys. Just as uh, the song said a few moments ago, that not only we hear, but we're willing to act upon it, and I'm willing to follow. I'm willing to allow the Holy Spirit to help me to spiritually digest it in my life and to bring forth uh, the, uh, manifest itself outwardly and bring forth the things that Jesus desires. Jesus addressed everyone who hears the words of mine. Jesus' word in verse 24 and 25 warned professing disciples that hearing alone was not enough. It's not enough to hear God's word this morning. It's not enough to hear God's Word each week, but they, they must practice what they hear. That's what he's saying. That uh, professing disciples must not only hear, but must practice what they hear. Now, those words of mine refer to uh, Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. If you go back to Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 3, he begins a sermon, and it goes through chapter 7, verse 23. And now he is taking these verses and he's summing up. He's sharing about everything he's shared about uh, with his disciples. He he says, are you putting them into practice? And the translates the Greek word here for do or does. And the expression is literally, does these words of mine. Here he is is asking those who have heard this sermon, uh, does these words of mine. Now, that sounds kind of strange uh, for you and me. But basically, uh, what he's doing here uh, is the obvious point is that Jesus is expecting his disciples to live by his teachings. Now, if you go back and you read the Sermon on the Mount, and you read uh, what we call the Beatitudes in verses 3 through 12, and and you look, there's some, some teachings there that are totally foreign to how you and I normally respond. As far as when we are being persecuted and about loving our enemies about forgiving one another man he's teaching uh, how how he would respond he's teaching about how we should respond as his disciples and he's saying uh, does these words of mine he's expecting them to live by his teaching some people see this emphasis as to uh, as a threat to the biblical doctrine of salvation uh, by grace through faith But we have to understand that the Bible consistently teaches that we are saved by grace through faith. And it's not by our own works. However, the Bible also teaches those who are saved by grace will produce good works. And sometimes we get those out of order. In the book of Ephesians, we find recorded in chapter 2, 
beginning of verse 8, he says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, unless any man should boast. And then he goes on and he talks about the work aspect of it. Verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We try to get the cart before the horse sometimes. There's no threat here as far as a works type of salvation. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. See, it's just understood, okay, these guys, the disciples, are those who have already had that relationship with Christ, and now he's sharing the teachings, and he's saying, now I expect you to go and do them. I expect you to go and to put them into practice. Jesus compared a person who puts his words into practice to a wise man who built his house on a rock. Now, the word wise refers to a thoughtful or a practical person or a person of good sense. I mean, just, you know, common sense type stuff like this. He was wise because he built his house on a rock. Now, in verse 25 and 26, it, um, it shows this was not the only possible location for uh, building a house. There was sandy soil and then there was this rock. Uh, foundation or slab type that you build on. This man was wise enough to dig down uh, to the rock bed. And you can find in Luke chapter 6 verse 48 it goes uh, into more detail in describing what the man did. It reads like this. It says, He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid a foundation on a rock. He didn't just build on that sandy soil, but he removed that sand, got down to the rock bed, and he built his house on there. And Jesus called him wise. Architects and construction workers know the necessity of building on a firm foundation. And that's what Jesus is saying, that the disciples were to build their lives on a firm foundation. It was to be built on Him. Jesus stressed the application of this principle to life. You see, the foundation was the crucial difference between this house and from the house that we're going to look at in just a moment in verses 26 and 27. What does this rock and foundation represent here in these verses? Well, Jesus said they represent uh, the observance of His teachings. They represent the observance of His teachings. Behind that, of course, here is a commitment to Him as Lord. And then one uh, practice, it leads one to practice His teachings. First is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and then the practice of His teaching and putting these verses into application. Ultimately, Christ Himself we know is the uh, foundation on which life is built. In Matthew chapter 7 here, verses 24 through 27, it shows that Christ and obedience to His teaching go together. You cannot separate the two. If you have a right relationship with Christ, then you're going to practice His teaching. You're going to allow the Holy Spirit to uh, help you to uh, just uh, implement that through your life. It's going to, to be a part of, of who you are and how you respond to life and to life situations and circumstances. The wise man knew about storms and therefore he built a firm foundation. And we see that uh, that would survive them. We know about storms. We think about them. We think about the storms that uh, hit last year uh, along the uh, coast of uh, Alabama and, and Louisiana and Texas and, and the devastation and the damage that it did. Uh, the storms and rains that we've had this year and 
what it's done here in the Northeast. And talking with a gentleman not too long ago, back in June, I was at a, at a meeting, and, and uh, he was working with those that were there in New Hampshire, and he said they still had like 200 homes to, to mud out. And that was just in his area. And we know the effect that, that storms can have, physical storms that, that can have. And Jesus is talking about what happens in our lives that you and I have to face each day, that come our way, those, those struggles in life, those trials, those temptations, and, and, and how devastating that can be and, dest- and destructive it can be uh, and, and the damage that it can bring. And we notice here the wise men, as we said, knew about storms, and therefore he built a firm foundation, and the one that would survive it. Then, then the rain came, it says, and, and the streams rose, and, and the winds blew, and, and uh, it beat against it. And notice what it says here, but it did not fall because uh, it had a foundation that was built on a rock. It withstood the rain and the wind and all that it had to throw at it because it was built on a solid foundation. What do the elements of the storm represent? Well, we see here they probably symbolize God's testing of our faith and lives, both at the final judgment and the trials and temptations that batter our lives now. I think back when I was a teenager and when I was a young person and, you know, everything was a crisis. And and, and there were things that, you know, just, boy, just you found yourself always uh, with issues, so to speak. But as I've grown and, and as an adult, and not everything is a crisis, but the intensity of the storm is so great. Using terminology uh, like, a, like a farmer sometimes, like, like a mule kicking you in the stomach, it, when, when, when life comes at you, and these tests and these trials, many times it, it just knocks the wind out of you. You get where you, you can't even, seem like you can't breathe. And it seems like there, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. And the intensity of it there, and I never dreamed that the storms of life would be greater when I got older than when I was younger. And the impact that they can have. And so we see that the firm foundation of Jesus' words is the only safe protection from these storms. We're not delivered from the storms of life, but through them, by the firm foundation on which our lives rest secure. You want to be able to stand against the storms of life, you need to have a solid foundation. And that foundation is found in a personal relationship by faith and repentance with the Lord Jesus Christ. Then it's hearing the words of God and allowing the words of God to fall on fertile soil a tender heart, a heart that understands, a heart that is able to receive, a heart that is able to produce the maximum amount of fruit that God intended. So when the storms hit, you'll still be standing. You'll be able to weather those storms. But I want you to notice with me in verse 26 and 27. Not only did he talk about a wise builder, but he also talked about a foolish builder. Most of the words in verses 26 and 27 are repeated words from verses 24 and 25. Look back with me here and and let's look at verse 26 and 27. But everyone who hears my words and sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. 
and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and it beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now, let, let's compare these uh, verses here. The repetition here. What are the similarities between the wise man and the foolish man? There's three or four that we can, we can observe here. First of all, uh, the first similarity, both men heard the words of Jesus. Both decided to build houses. But notice both houses appeared to be adequate and sturdy. It'd be like if you were to drive here in this community and you drive by and you compare houses and they may look good on the outside. They may appear to be sturdy, but man, when you, you go to look at them, one of the foundations may be cracked. It may be taken in water. Uh, termites may have eaten the foundation away. It looks good on the outside. And isn't that the way many times we reflect as, as disciples or Christians? We look good on the outside, but not everyone who is a Christian is building on that solid foundation. Fail to put into practice the words in which they hear. Their heart is not always receptive to God's Word. And it falls by the wayside or it gets choked out or whatever. There are four differences in wording, however, that magnify the difference between these two men. Uh, the crucial difference is, is here in verse 26. The word not. The word not shows that the second man did not put the words of Jesus into practice. Both men heard the word, but they only one did what Jesus taught. And this is the difference right here, the word not. The second difference is in the wording is between the words wise and foolish. The third difference is closely related, that of rock and sand. Jesus didn't tell us why the foolish man decided to build his house on sand. Whatever the reason was, uh, Jesus called him foolish for making that choice to, to not dig down to the bedrock and, and build on that solid foundation. Why would a person knowingly build on a weak, sandy foundation? Perhaps he was trying to save money. Perhaps he was careless. Perhaps he was just in a hurry and he didn't want to take time to dig down to the rock. The first part of verse 27. Notice here. What weak foundations do people build their lives on today? Think about it for a moment. Think about your life. I think about my life. I think how I built on things that are not sure in days past where I've not allowed the Word of God to be processed in my life to the point that it would bring forth the maximum amount of fruit. But what do people build uh, their lives on today? As we mentioned earlier, on money, success, position, power, prestige. If you read on in that article on the opinion line uh, from the Houston Chronicle, it makes a very statement. It said, the folks, of, the residents of Houston didn't have to go through this. They could have been enjoying... Uh, this man's, uh, you know, knowledge and ability as far as uh, developing energy that we could have, but also the monies that came from that, the, the difference it could have made in the charities in the community. But because of his greed or his, his, his professional, wanting to professionally promote himself, all of this came to an end. 
The first part of verse 27 describes the same kind of storm mentioned in verse 25. The verse fourth difference is described in, a, in tragic terms in the end of verse 27. Notice with me. Whereas the first house did not fall. Notice what it says. The other house fell, but it was a great crash. I mean, it didn't just fall. But there was a great crash. It was completely devastated, swept away. The fate of the second house was sealed when it was built on the sand. A choice that was made. And just as the fate of the foolish man was sealed when he did not practice what Jesus taught. It's not enough to hear. If I'm not going to put it into practice, Jesus said, I'm foolish. I'm building my my life on something that is like sand that's going to shift under me when things come my way. And when the storms of life batter me, I'm not going to be able to withstand it. It's going to have devastating effect upon my life. Their fates, however, did not become apparent until the storms of life and the judgment came. You see, many times we all look good on the outside, don't we? Put on a pretty good show. But I'll tell you one thing, when trials and temptations and the storms of life come, you find out who's real. You find out who's genuine. Because, folks, it comes time when there's a lot of things we just can't control. They're out of our control. Only God Only God is the one that can be that foundation for us. And His teachings that have helped us to be prepared for that. Only foolish people do not prepare for the storms of life and the certainty of a divine judgment. History, observation, experience should show everyone who is wise that danger is ahead for those who neglect the Lord Jesus and His teachings. We neglect Him, and we neglect His teaching. We're foolish. And that's been proven over and over again. Notice as we close in verse 28 and 29. And so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at His teaching. For He taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. The word amazed literally means they kept on being amazed. I mean, I just, it was one of those things that your jaw drops. It can be translated as strongly as to be dumbfounded. Have you ever seen things that just like, man, they amazed you, but you were just dumbfounded? Yeah, you couldn't believe it. The reason given for this reaction was the authority on which he taught. Now think about that just for a moment. The word translated authority here in Matthew 7, 29 occurs 103 times in the New Testament, uh, four times, uh, 44 times here in the Gospel. Jesus demonstrated inherent power by what He said. He did not rely on the previous teachings or teachers to authenticate His message. This was the method of the rabbis, the scribes, the Pharisees. They spoke from authorities, always quoting others. But in contrast, Jesus taught with first-hand knowledge. It was fresh. It was relevant and to life and to its deepest concerns. Folks, I want to tell you, 
when the water hits a wheel, when the storms of life, you find yourself caught up in them, it's refreshing and it's relevant to hear from the Lord Jesus Christ. To hear from the Word of God. He's got the answer. He always has and He always will. The world does not have the answer. Well, you'll find out real quick what's secure and what's firm. You'll find out that He has the answer. His teachings told people how to live and they revealed who He was and who He is. In fact, we see that it makes him, makes, made the disciples aware that He was the Son of God. The One who is life and truth incarnate. They're just as refreshed, uh, refreshing and relevant today, the words of God, as it was when Jesus was here 2,000 years ago. That's why it's important to hear it, to read it, to study it, to memorize it, whatever, to internalize it. He's got the word that we need to hear. They didn't simply teach a philosophy. They revealed a person. Big difference. That's the difference between the word of God and all the other books that this world has to offer is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's still on the throne. The crowd at this point were impressed with Jesus, but they were not yet committed to Him. This implied by the word there to describe their teachers of the law. They were outsiders and not believers. At this point, the crowds were simply uncommitted. They needed to enter the narrow gate and begin to walk the difficult way. Almost everyone is impressed with Jesus. I mean, you can't help but be and willing to say good things about Him. But that cannot substitute for lasting commitment to Jesus as Lord and a determination to live by His teachings. That won't substitute. I read in our study too long ago about three Arabian horsemen who were riding rapidly through a moonless night, it said, and hurrying on their way in the midst of an important journey. And as they crossed a a dry bed of a stream in the desert, a voice uh, uh, spoke out in the darkness and it stopped them in their tracks. And the voice instructed them to dismount and pick up some pebbles there from uh, the stream bed. Uh, The voice also told the horsemen that the light of the morning, what happened would make them both glad and sad. And as they rode on through the night, each wondered the meaning of the message there. But because of uh, the intensity of the journey like this, they, pretty, they just kind of forgot about the pebbles until the light of day. And then when the light began to shine like this, uh, they, they pulled out the pebbles and they examined them uh, there in the light. And, and they looked and they were totally amazed. The, the glint of the morning sun reflected the beauty of diamonds that were in their hands. And the voice had promised what occurred made the three men both glad and sad. They were all glad that they were, had heeded the voice and they had picked up a few pebbles. But they were sad that they had been too hurried and unbelieving to pick up more. And such is the judgment, it says, that comes to every believer arrested by the voice of God. We're offered gems of truth In Jesus' teaching, every believer finds himself and herself both glad and sad. 
Reason being, in the darkness of a hurried journey of life, true believers always respond to Jesus' commanding voice by picking up some stones of truth along the way. But unfortunately, all find themselves saddened when they could have and should have picked up more. So much more. The message should make us, each of us more aware of the eternal treasure that is bound in the wisdom and the counsel of the living Word of God. It's here, folks. It's it's right here in front of us. We have God's written Word. We have God's spoken Word. And we hear it week in and week out. But do we just pick up a few little truths along life's journey? Are we willing to allow God to prepare our hearts to understand and prepare our heart to receive in order that we might bear the maximum amount of fruit. Those little gold nuggets there that that in our quiet time and and in other times that we hear God's Word that we, we just are patient and we wait. Those two words are the most difficult for me. Yeah, I'm just always moving and always got to be doing something. But if we're going to hear from God, it's not like putting food into a microwave. You're not going to just pop into God's presence and He's going to pop you out a quick meal. If you want to hear from God, you better plan to take some time and spend alone with Him. And when He does speak, those gems, those jewels, that, that little gold nugget, it's there. And you know what they're there for? He knows what's coming today and tomorrow, a week from now, a year from now. And He is putting into our life those things to help us stand against trials and temptations and the storms of life. But they can't just hear them. We must practice them. Only Jesus can provide a lasting foundation for life. Many people hear the words of Jesus, but very few practice what they hear. Every person will experience the storms of life and eventually face the judgment of God. The storms of life and the judgment of God will reveal those whose lives are founded on Christ and His teaching. Being amazed at Jesus and His teaching should lead people to make a lasting commitment question this morning is where are you in your spiritual journey some may have never come to that place that by faith and repentance they're willing to repent of their sin and turn from it and by faith invite Jesus Christ into their heart and experience that grace that he has extended to us of everlasting life many of us have received that and many of us have failed to apply much of the teaching. Did you know we know a lot more than we claim or think? (laughs) I mean, if we just started trying to put in practice what we already know, we've got enough to keep us busy till Jesus comes again or till we die. It's not about learning. Learning really doesn't take place until the application, the practical aspect, and it begins to manifest itself outwardly. And when it does, people will stand in awe 
just like they did with Jesus. Because what they're going to see in you is Him. And they're going to be attracted to Him. They're going to be able to understand what that verse that He says, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. And the way that we experience that abundant life is, is practicing the teachings that we find in the Word. And the world just sits there dumbfounded. Like, they don't understand. And we have an opportunity not only to reflect it, but also verbally share with them the foundation upon which our life is built. And it is secure.